Hello, my name is Justin DeClue, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. Hell yeah. <laughs> is that our new tagline? Hell yeah! First of all, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, in our Francis Ford Coppola episode, I was informed that Tetro was set uh, not in Spain, but in Buenos Aires. Okay. Uh, so that, Are you uh, a better person for that now? I, I mean, I will reiterate what I said on that episode, which is that <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, um, today we're talking about Catherine Brea. A French director. Not Canadian. Not Canadian. <laughs> who um, has directed a number of films that I was shocked to find not many people have written that much about. Why is that? Could it be institutional sexism? I'm such a hero for saying that, aren't I? <laughs> when Cinematech <laughs> put on a retrospective of her work, and it was kind of a big thing, that I just assume, like, oh, she is one of the kind of pillars of these types of films. We are talking specifically about Fat Girl and Anatomy of Hell uh, on this episode, the well, two that me and Will watched. Well, I think, uh, let's face it, film criticism, it's a bit of a sausage fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, now playing. Uh, <laughs> and movies everywhere. <laughs> um, and I feel like Catherine Bria, I'm not, I, it's going to be pathetic listening to me say her name, but she's somebody who deals with, you know, coming of age, sexuality among young women and... Yeah, the sexuality of women in general, which I, I think is something that our sausage fest critical industry is not necessarily equipped to talk about. When I looked uh, her name up, I only found one book written about her in the English language. Maybe there's stuff in French. I checked and I couldn't really find anything, so I was really surprised. I mean, Fat Girl is a movie that you hear kind of bandied about a lot, um, principally because in Canada it was banned when it was released. I remember that. Because it, it dealt with sexuality to the point that they were stopped at the border if you tried to bring them Somebody in. was arrested for bringing a print in. It was banned in Ontario in 2001 and then was eventually overturned in 2003 when whoever it is who runs the censor board was uh, replaced. Yeah. And I I honestly don't think anything's been banned since. No, I, I think that was a, like the last big one. Such an outmoded concept. Well, Ontario was always huge on censorship for a long time. Um, and that was kind of its final dying gasps. So had you seen Fat Girl before? Yeah, watching I, it? I had a few years ago. I saw a bunch of stuff at that uh, Brea retrospective uh, from 2009. Uh, it was interesting watching it again. I watched a few of her movies this week. It just made me think about, like, th- this is a bit of a banal thing to say, as most things I say in this podcast are, but... <laughs> yeah, we should clear up. We are two men <laughs> yeah. talking about this subject. Like, when we said we should talk about a female director, because we just do white male yeah. um, filmmakers all the time... We picked the hardest <laughs> one. The hardest one that specifically deals so- with something that we have not experienced personally in our lives. But, I mean, I think what's interesting about it is that, like... Watching these movies, I just thought about how you never see movies like this. Movies, uh, young men and women's sexuality is something that I think makes people squeamish and is something that I can't imagine people wanting to finance as a movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there are so many kind of moral issues at play with putting young actors in movies like this. I mean, the reason that this film was banned was because the youngest lead in the film does appear naked in in the picture. It has a pretty graphic rape scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spoiler. At the end. Yeah, we're going to spoil this movie um, because a lot of its notoriety does come from the picture's final moments. And also, like, I think it's just pretty rare to see a movie about sex in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's something that people uh, would rather watch stuff about sex i.e. pornography, in the privacy of their own homes. It makes people feel uncomfortable to see it in a theater, and they, I think it especially makes them feel uncomfortable to watch movies like these, which deal with, like, 
the plumbing of sexuality or with things like menstruation. Yeah. You know. Um, so, like, this movie, uh, Catherine Bria has talked a lot about that her pictures deal with sexuality almost exclusively, like all her films, female sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that this one was to present the kind of, you know, young a coming of age of women without giving them kind of a male gaze. Yeah. With kind of taking out all that eroticism that you would associate with it being portrayed in cinema. And one of the things I liked about it too was most movies about young love, I think are kind of romanticized a little bit. Um, and whereas I think a lot of people's like first sexual experiences are not all that positive. Wait, yours wasn't? It wasn't in oh, like a uh, flowered room. Oh, I where mean, you're like, are you, know, you ready? Present company excluded. I mean, we we right out of the gate were just like roaring stallions. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like on the floor somewhere with like a blanket put out. It, it, yeah, two seconds followed by a lot of weeping. <laughs> <laughs> so. Once again, we could only bring our male perspective. Because <laughs> the plot deals with um, two young girls who are going with their mother and father to kind of like a beach town. Ages 12 and 15. To spend the summer. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, the older sister meets a young uh, man who they kind of start dating and stuff like that. And then the film mostly deals with very long scenes of the man kind of seducing the woman. And are, I use seduction yeah. in the truest sense of like it's sad and kind of whiny and petulant it's like persuasion i mean it's pretty close to rape Mm -hmm. uh the centerpiece of the movie are these two long scenes the first one is just him kind of using a lot of manipulative tactics a lot of stuff like well you know we're in love, aren't we? And wouldn't it be a wonderful gift for you to, to give me? Can I at least like... Yeah, just go, a tip. Go, just a can, tip. Can yeah. I get uh, at least a bit of a tip? Oh, well, you know, if you really loved me, couldn't... Well, a lot of nice girls let you go in the back door and mm. that way it doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, and I think these scenes are... Like, I'm not really sure what to say about them except that I think they ring incredibly true. Yes, absolutely <laughs> true. Not saying that me or Will have done this. Oh, no, we're... we're I'm a really good guy. <laughs> Okay, Uh, but this kind of sad kind of begging for this thing, and it's all portrayed from the perspective of that the 12-year-old girl is also in the room with the 15-year-old sister as this, like, I think he's 25 or Mm. a year old man tries to seduce this girl. There's something else about her movies. It's not just the fact that people's early sexual experiences aren't necessarily that great but it's also the fact that people are as teenagers i think a little confused about their sexuality uh fat girl i think is kind of the perfected version of a story that Catherine bria had been telling from the beginning of her career which is teenage girls not sure quite what to do with their sexuality being sort of impatient to lose their virginity but not sure how to do it or mm-hmm. why to do it or why they're feeling this way. Like it's very important, but the misunderstanding of why is it important? Yeah, and there's and and there's kind of a debate between these sisters about what is what is the best way to lose your virginity? Should should it be uh, should it be with just a random person so you get out of the way, or should it be with somebody who's uh, meaningful to you? And the twelve-year-old gets kind of obsessed with this, uh, which climaxes at the end of the movie with um, the family leave the vacation home because the boyfriend gave the fifteen-year-old a piece of his mom's jewelry that he wasn't supposed to. Allegedly, an engagement ring. Yeah, and then they just park to take a nap, and out of nowhere, a psychotic man 
break through the car, murders uh, the mother and the oldest daughter, and then rapes the youngest. Uh, and it's like, leaves nothing to the imagination. No. What, what did what did you think of this? Well, I knew it was coming. Yeah. So I'm curious to what it would have been like if I had gone in not expecting that to happen. Because when this film was originally like talked about or I heard someone mentioning it, they mentioned this final scene that mm. is like shocking and out of nowhere. Yeah. I think it's the logical conclusion of the film. Uh, I mean, if I can like bring my own morality into it, I think it's wrong to put a young actress in a position like that. Mm. Um, take that, take that what you will. Yeah. Wait, but you think it's the logical conclusion? Like that's how that story should have ended? Well, like I, I think, I think in the context of the movie, it makes a lot of sense. But, but I, I'm to just bringing portray my, it, yeah, I'm just bringing my own like morality into this. Yeah, that's that's really difficult because it does a- end with an on-screen rape. Of a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. And then um, a climactic sting in the tail with a freeze frame on her face after she says that she was not raped. Yeah. And rock music plays over it. Yeah, which is a real brutal ending. It definitely doesn't leave people leaving the audio, uh, the theater being like, oh, yeah, man, that was a great time at the cinemas. <laughs> Something else I liked about the movie was the relationship between these girls and their parents. Um, I, I think this is maybe something else that people can relate to. The, the parents don't you know they're not able to communicate with their parents about these things uh when the father finds out that the 15 year old uh has had sex with this guy he basically wants to have her examined yeah and you get the sense that he's doing it more just to humiliate her or to teach her a lesson at one point they uh look at their mother and they're like look how happy she is that she's in control of the situation. Yeah. And then the 15-year-old says to her mother, well, what about you? You never had a first time? Mm-hmm. And she said, it's not about me. <laughs> Parents. Sorry, Am I, just, I right? Yeah. <laughs> but as young guys, we just fist bumped our dads all the time <laughs> and stuff like that. So Yeah, totally different. Pretty much the next year after Fatco came out, uh, Catherine Briand made a film called Sex is Comedy, which is about the making of Fat Girl. Right. And it's it uh, features a Catherine Briand, I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but Catherine Briand-like character who's kind of a controlling, manipulative director. And it actually features uh, the actress who played the 15-year-old in Fat Girl, basically reprising her role or playing herself. basically the same scene from the movie. And the movie is all about uh, the director using all of the tricks at her disposal, all of her manipulation to coax this scene out of them. She is like the worst director as a social being that I've ever seen on film, I think. Well, I think uh, the movie raises... I I found the movie uh, a little bit of a slog, to be honest with you, but I think it raises some interesting questions about you know what what tools does a director have at their disposal yeah um and what's the responsibility of a director in in creating that atmosphere it feels like the director in this film holds no accountability of what this will impact on their actors later on yeah and you know do the ends justify the means etc they don't (laughs) no they don't okay so it was wrong to film that ending of fat girl (laughs) it's weird but it's interesting that the film does not um tackle the ending of Fat Girl, it tackles a scene earlier in Fat Girl, which is a long bedroom scene. Right. I feel like the ending of Fat Girl might have just been a little bit too much to handle. Like if they called it sexist comedy and that's what it was about. And it about. was all about filming the rape of a 12-year-old. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that would have that, been a little bit difficult. Uh, what do you think a film like this was supposed to do for Catherine Was she like trying to show that, oh, I understand what I do. 
Like, I can be an asshole on set. Because I've sh- I looked at clips of her directing um, that were featured on the Fat Girl uh, Blu-ray, and it's basically like it is in Sex and Comedy. Yeah, uh, like, do you think it's a mea culpa, or do you think it's... Um... But that doesn't... Here's the thing. As, as someone who's been on set a lot and watched myself and other people fly off the handle and then be like, oh, sorry, I'm just directing, you know, yeah. my nerves. That does not, like... To, it, 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 to say you're an asshole and continue to be an asshole does not forgive you. If anything, it makes it way worse. Sure. Uh, by the way, if I can bring, like, the, the woman question in here a little bit, uh, I, I do think that we have a tendency to kind of celebrate the male directors who, mm-hmm. are, who are mavericks or who are manipulative. Somebody like, like the Michael Bay. Or, or like somebody like uh, Werner Herzog. Yeah. I mean, Burden of Dreams shows him at times being like pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, and pretty unethical. But but he's kind of celebrated as this maverick who does crazy things. Well, if it's a woman that does it, it's like, oh, look how crazy she is and what you'd be willing to get the final product. Yeah. I mean, you know, but we we can argue about that all day. I mean, at the end well, of the day, being bad is still being bad. <laughs> exactly. Whether, whatever you do. Yeah. Um, this is not... Uh, I don't want to get into this. Um, I can only approach it as having directed myself uh-huh. and seeing what the character in this movie was doing. I'm like, holy moly. At one point, someone asks her, like, what are we supposed to do next? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do next. Everybody get off set. I need to think for a few hours. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, I could never do that if I made a movie. <laughs> Fat Girl is a great movie. It is. But, like you said, to reiterate, like, do the end justify the means? I don't know. Uh, the answer is yes. Yes. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) To Anatomy of Hell. Okay, boy. Now, this one is fun. Uh, This is a movie that is about a young woman who attempts to commit suicide in a a gay nightclub. Yeah. And a man falls upon her, takes her outside, and she gives him a proposition to visit her in this isolated country home by the sea for three nights in a row. Yeah. And just watch her. And just comment on her body, because she thinks that because he's gay, uh, he will have some sort of objective view on her body. But also the movie suggests that, I mean, it's a, it's a little hard to figure out what the movie's saying, to be honest, but the movie seems to suggest that to be gay is to be misogynistic. Mm, like, yeah. like, like uh, so the, the man is played by Rocco Sifredi. A real porn star. Uh, like a very, like, prolific French porn star. And it's just an interesting bit of casting since he's, like, such a macho guy. And uh, in this movie, he plays this... I don't want to say emasculated. Mm. He, he plays this this guy who's seems very sensitive about about looking at a vulva. Yeah, and it seems to cause him to weep. There are a lot of kind of weirdly. So it's basically just her lying naked in a bedroom while he looks at her and like fondles her and takes lipstick and like draws on her vagina and does weird things. So I cannot even start to try to like decipher this film without sounding like either a misogynist well, or I mean I'm glad in a way that this movie exists just yes. because like there's nothing else like this and it's interesting to see a movie that that uh, the thesis of the movie I guess is that uh and correct me if I'm wrong but I believe it's that you know, men and women are equal, and yet men uh, rule the world. Why is that? It must be because uh, men find something abject about women's reproductive parts. Sure. Do you think that sounds about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. And, and that there's a deep-seated hatred in men, and I don't know, maybe I mean, even that's women. what the movie's trying to say, is that men have a hatred for women. Yeah. Full stop. And... Uh, 
Breya seems to use uh, a gay man as, as the being... most hateful version of that. So, and I'm not quite sure how literally we're supposed to take that. I know I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is a film that was reviled on its release. Like, me and Will went looking for reviews that could not be published today. Oh, some of them are, like, incredibly <laughs> sexist. Like, one, one of them, uh, there's a guy who wrote for Film Comment who said something along the lines of, boy, I haven't seen this much hairy vulva since I was born. The only response I could have to that is, ew. Yeah. Roger Ebert's review. Well, Roger Ebert, like, just kind of refuses to engage with it. Mm-hmm. He just gives it one star and says, basically, it's gross. And, yeah. I mean, there is a scene in this movie where, like, okay, like, I hope you're sitting down. But, <laughs> but there is a scene where uh, she puts her used tampon in a glass of water like tea and then they drink from it. But the question I had is that how is that any different from a show of where someone is explodes and sprays blood in someone's face all the time? Yeah, man. Why is it that, <laughs> that our society will accept violence but not sexuality? <laughs> I'm asking you, Will. Uh, well, I do think it's interesting that, like, there's a scene in an Austin Powers movie where Austin <laughs> Powers eats, like, drinks shit, but... <laughs> and people are like, <laughs> People love that, but of course, in this scene where people very, like, solemnly drink menstrual water... <laughs> and this is a very solemn film to the point of almost parody. It, it is, like, kind of self-parody. Yeah. I, there's a scene where he takes, like, a, um, like a, like a shovel and, like, sticks it... Okay, let's not even say... <laughs> It's like so gross, <laughs> but but the movie. Uh, let's get back to this idea that uh, she... is it. Or are you just playing in a patriarchy, uh, Will? Well, let's get back to this idea that she proffers that there's something about uh, women's sexuality and women's uh, bodily functions and their organs that is abject and hateful to men. Uh, do you think there's like anything to this? Because I I, I don't necessarily think there is. But then again, that scene where they drink uh, the menstrual water—the reaction that you had to it, right? Like, so I watch it and I think, "Wow, that's gross." But then you think, "Well, why is that gross?" I mean, there's a certain level of what she's trying to say that I have to agree with, because you know people do react that way, even though they watch the most disgusting shit in pornography yeah. all the time. But if it's presented in this context, they'll be like, "Ew." Maybe it's because they don't have control over it, which is another thing. Yeah. Like the movie that they're watching. They have um, a conversation in this movie about period sex. Uh, And folks, if you don't want to listen to this, you can just turn it off right now. But uh, he's so grossed out by having uh, menstrual blood on his penis after sex, which... um, you know, from anecdotal evidence, I don't think he's alone <laughs> no, in, yeah. in feeling that way. Um, and and then she, they have this really weird conversation about, well, you have anal sex with men, surely some discharge gets on your penis yeah. from that. And then he says something that I think is like one of the strangest things I've ever heard. He says, well, shit has gone through the life cycle, whereas the vagina gives life. Do you remember what else he says after that? I don't remember exactly what it Whatever is. Whatever it was, it didn't make sense. Yeah, I mean... It'd be interesting to read the novel this is based on. I tried. Did you? Did you actually get a copy of it? Yeah, or? I've got. I've had it for a while, and I tried. Uh, I read about half of it this week, and it's like really, really hard to read. Oh, so it, you got like an English translation? Yeah, or? it's this kind of like um, uh, dense, unreadable prose. Oh. I don't know. It has such a funny title though that I'm like, Porno- what? pornocracy. Is I what was it's like, called. it's it's got to be a barrel of laughs. Yeah. You know something we should point out about these films. They're nice and short. <laughs> oh, well, Anatomy of Hell was like, what, 76 minutes? Yes. Boom. <laughs> like, you can get, I mean, 
when you're an artist, you just get right to the point, which this film does. We should perhaps say that uh, she has also made movies that are uh, a little bit more mainstream than these. She's made uh, The Last Mistress, which is, I mean, they're all about sex, but The Last Mistress mm-hmm. is kind of a historical costume movie. She also kind of fell in love with the idea of adapting uh, fairy tales. She did Bluebeard, she did Sleeping Beauty, and she was going to do Beauty and the Beast, but I believe that she was hit by a uh, stroke that paralyzed half her body and either funding didn't come through or something like that. So um, she hasn't had a chance to make the next one. She did have an interesting film, though, uh, a year or two ago called Abuse of Weakness, which is another semi-autobiographical movie. Isabelle Huppert plays a uh, Catherine Briat-like filmmaker who suffers a stroke. And uh, after suffering a stroke, she forms this kind of emotional attachment to this a young con artist. Which somebody who, happened to Catherine yeah, Maria as well. This guy who was like jailed for being a con artist and was out of prison and she wanted to make a movie about his life starring him. And basically he built her out of all of her money. Which is... How dare the con man con her? Well, I, I mean, it's kind of amazing. And the movie ends with Isabel Huppert basically saying, yeah, I can't believe this happened. And it's an interesting movie to watch just because in... You know, all of her movies are very interested in power dynamics, particularly between men and women. Uh, sex is comedy really shows the, the autobiographical director being very powerful. Mm-hmm. And this one, this later one shows her as being this once proud figure who gets totally undercut. Uh, yeah, I actually haven't had a chance to see the movie, but it's good. The fact that she did have a stroke that did paralyze half her body and she continues to make movies is something that Weird that I don't hear about that more often, the same way that we don't hear about her as a director that often. For someone who has such a personal vision that is so specific about these this handful of things, it is the definition of, like, the auteur theory, uh. and yet no one is jumping on it. And is that specifically because she deals mostly with female sexuality? Yes, of course that I, is. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's come to a very special milestone in important cinema club history oh we have letters oh yeah (laughs) we have letters nice okay so you can send us letters and emails basically the same thing in this helter skelter future (laughs) that we live in our email address is important cinema club podcast at gmail.com which obviously actually works it's a bit, it's a bit of a cumbersome email address <laughs> yeah i know but i want people to work for it i think people like they start typing important cinema club and then their fingers just get tired and they, <laughs> they don't they don't finish it so the first email we have is from kevin roy and he writes hey guys i'm a big fan of both the icc and loose cannons oh hey <laughs> I was originally going to write this letter to Loose Cannons, <laughs> but I've already written to that show. I was the one who waxed nostalgic about masturbating to the French softcore program Bleu, Bleu Nuit. Okay. <laughs> and Matthew insisted only new letter writers are allowed to write in. Hashtag Team Will Sloan. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I'm writing this re- request is there any way you could have both this podcast and Loose Cannons uploaded on Google Play's new podcast streaming service? If you don't know, Google Play is essentially Google's answer to iTunes. Kevin, do you work for Google? <laughs> this and, is Buzz Marketing. And many of your favorite podcasts are already available through the service. <laughs> does, he, does he say that? Wow. Yeah, he 
does. Okay. And as an Android user, it would be handy to have all the best podcasts under one roof. It also might help to spread the word about your fantastic podcast. Well, first of all, like, everyone already knows about this podcast, unless you're living under a rock. I'm worried I might be your only listener who doesn't know you personally. Oh, but... <laughs> I know, I know. A knife a, in the gut. I know for a fact that's not true. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Anyway, thanks very much for writing a letter, Kevin Android Google Play employee. Well, we like, you know what? We like to think that we're one of your favorite podcasts, and that's why we're now on Google Play. <laughs> well, because we love to service our fans. Wait, is that the right way to say that? <laughs> um, I did add it to Google Play. So now you can get it on Google Play for all you people with this app app that I've never heard of before. Nice. Can access it. Yep. No, no excuses. So anyway, thanks for the insightful and funny show. All the best. You know what would be nice? Thank you, Kevin. To have um, sponsors. Oh, yeah. Like Audible.com. Or, <laughs> or uh, Google Play Music. Casper Mattress. For this episode, probably uh, AdamandEve.com <laughs> could have got oh, on board. <laughs> And we we would do funny ads. Will would do voices. Hey, I'm Mark Marin here. Hey, <laughs> just justcoffee.com. <laughs> oh my God, Jackie Chan is shilling for Casper mattresses. Uh no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, you know what? You'll get a taste of that oh, if well. we get sponsors from Casper mattresses. Yeah. yeah. All right, we actually got two letters. Oh my God. So obviously they've been building up, and I haven't noticed. <laughs> this one is from Peter Davies, and he writes. Greetings from your colonial occupier. Oh, wow. Oh, jeez. Is that a threat? Is it like a twist? <laughs> I just wanted to email you to let you know that you have at least one fan from the UK. Oh. I love how they're like, nice. they're like, listen, you got one fan. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. We have another, Kevin was wrong. We yeah, have another two fan fans. who we don't know. And in this incredibly chaotic week, your podcast was a welcome distraction. Oh. I appreciate the choice of topics and filmmakers each week and that you always avoid doing the boring, obvious films and filmmakers. I'm sure you have it all mapped out, of course, <laughs> but it would be great to get a podcast on Robert Altman, Richard Linklater, or John Waters. Well, we have talked about at least two of those people. We've yeah. talked about Altman and Waters, and I don't see why not Linklater. Uh, eventually, eventually. Also, in the unlikely event you ever decided to do a British film theme podcast, here are a few suggestions for some of our finest filmmakers. Mike Lee, Andreas Arnold, Michael Winterbottom, Lynn Ramsey. Two women on that list. Oh, yeah. We could do that. Or what about uh, the carry-on films? <laughs> I'm not doing yeah. that. Or Benny Hill acted in a lot of movies. Someone sent us a letter to Loose Cannons asking if we'd do like a carry-on podcast where we go <sighs> chronologically through the carry-on that, films. That would like literally kill you. <laughs> I said, absolutely not. <laughs> Why would I do that? Uh, um, and he has questions okay. uh, or comments directly to both of us. Right. Will, please keep doing your impressions. Oh, thank you. Uh, you dirty rat. <laughs> You're the one who killed my brother. That's uh, a little Jimmy Cagney for you there. Well, I've never heard that one, which shows the bag of tricks that Will can pull from. Here's looking at you, kid. <laughs> Bogart's in the room. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Is that Clint Eastwood? That's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I'm like, man, Clint Eastwood is very political. Okay, so he writes, Justin... What do you actually look like? <laughs> Is this a mystery? What it, well, well, first of all, like, I would suggest Google image searching him. You'll, I guess you'll find him there. Yeah. But imagine George Clooney. Uh, <laughs> but he goes to the gym a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, imagine a better George Clooney. 
and you have Justin. Yeah, I barely wear shirts. They can't button up because I'm so rich. He's kind of a yeah. He's sort of like um, if you've seen Matthew McConaughey on the beach. It's like that. I like how he imagines exactly what you look like. <laughs> yeah, do you think he's like? Well, Will is obviously. I'm obviously like just some kind of nerd. <laughs> Steve Urkel type, yeah. which is funny because that's the exact opposite of what Will looks like. Yeah, I, I look like, like, imagine Fabio, that's what I look like. <laughs> but, like, twice as tall. Twice as tall. Yeah. He is a monster. Yes. All right, and he also says, what kind of films do you make, and are any of them available online to watch? He's talking about you, I assume. Yes. Um, yeah, you can search Justin the Clue in... Uh, YouTube. I have a channel. I also have a channel called Pineapple Skeleton where I do a bunch of skit stuff. What kind of movies do I, th- I make? You know, they're kind of intelligentsia style films. Sure. <laughs> Imagine adaptations of, you know, the recognition. Kind of, he's sort of like Toronto's Merchant Ivory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nah, they're just like violent, over the top Sam Raimi style, uh, style stuff. Uh, I made a feature film called Teddy Bomb. It's coming out in October that you'll be able to order and buy it digitally and on Blu ray. And I have another film called Impossible Horror that's going to be completed in December and will be going on festivals for a few months after that, finally, probably being released in the um, uh, spring. All right, so he also says, anyway, the podcast is very funny and informative, and I look forward to it every week. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Peter. That's very nice. Yes, so now we have two people that we don't know that listen to this podcast. And that's a challenge to the rest of you. Yeah, send us letters. Yeah. Um, What was that email address again? It's importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. So what are we doing next week? Next week... We're going to do someone that we should have done right from the get-go because of how important he is in both our lives. We're going to be doing Sammo Hung. Hell yes. And if you're like, who's Sammo Hung? He is the greatest action director to ever live. Yeah. Better than Jackie Chan. He was uh, Jackie Chan's uh, Chinese opera brother. They grew up together, uh, did backbreaking labor together, um, and they starred in many movies together in the 80s, like Wheels on Meals and Project A. Dragons Forever. Uh, but while Jackie Chan became a global superstar, Sammo Hung was more of a niche taste, probably because A, his movies are incredibly vulgar, and B, he's very fat. Yes. But he's also, despite the fact that he's very fat, he's also a better martial artist and acrobat than Jackie Chan and a better action director than Jackie Chan. And his work did break through very briefly with a TV show called Martial Law that oh, yeah. he starred in. And because of Martial Law, that was on a, like CBS or something in the late 90s uh, to cash in on kind of the rush hour boom. And it had Arsenio Hall in it. And <laughs> and because of that show, um, every time you find a Sammo Hung DVD, it'll always say starring Sammo Hung from TV's Martial Law. So next week we're going to be watching Eastern Condor, Sammo Hung's um, War Epic. Mm. That is one of the greatest martial arts films of all time, or even just action films. The Hong Kong Dirty Dozen. Exactly. Great film. And we're going to be watching... Enter the Fat Dragon. Which is one of uh, Sammo Hung's first directorial efforts, and was kind of a... I mean, you can't deny it's a cash-in on the death of Bruce Lee, but Sam Hung actually knew Bruce Lee, fights him in Enter the Dragon on screen, and does a pitch-perfect imitation of the man. Can't wait. I'm so excited to do that. Back on solid ground. <laughs> We're going to talk We're about... We're not going to humiliate ourselves in that next episode. We're talking about things we know about. <laughs> um, but we're also going to talk about um, Sam Hung's kind of... Uh, <laughs> 
gender relations in his movies. Which that is some pro- rocky territory. Very problematic. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, my name is Justin the Clue. I was Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Send us letters. <laughs> Will, before we go, we also saw another very important film uh, at the cinema this weekend, at the venerable Kung Fu Friday. Uh, Yeah, at the Royal Cinema here in Toronto. We saw Ninja in a Dragon's Den, I I believe it's called, uh, directed by the great Corey Yoon. Starring Conan Lee and... Hiroyuki Sanada, and also with uh, Huang Zhang Li from uh, Drunken Master. Oh, that's right. He shows up as the villain at the end. Yeah, great, great fucking movie. Uh, (laughs) So much fun. This is what it means to be sitting in a cinema and just letting the pure entertainment just wash over you. When people talk about, you know, the lights go going down and the smell of the popcorn and just the, the dream world enveloping you like normally i think that's total hogwash but this movie like that was it for me. <laughs> like if those kind of movies just played on loop when you went to the cinema oh. like watching a movie like ninja in the dragon's den it's kind of difficult for me to understand how it gets made like there's this set piece in the film where it's about a ninja comes to china and fights like a jackie chan-esque kung fu practitioner and there's a set piece where the ninja's trying to kill someone and gets into a building that the jackie chan like figure has booby trapped (laughs) all over the place and the kind of domino cartoon like chain of events that happen is so mesmerizing to watch just play across on screen that no other country other than Hong Kong can deliver that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, it was great that Hong Kong for a period had this like industry where where uh, there were no safety regulations, <laughs> so people would just like literally kill themselves for a movie or or they had a, they had a whole uh, industry made up of you know, kids who were basically indentured servants to the Chinese <laughs> opera who grew up having like spent 16 hours a day doing nothing but backbreaking labor <laughs> to, to the point where like doing kung fu was like so easy for them yeah that they could just do it over and over and over on screen there's a scene in this movie where somebody who's on fire jumps into a pond and then which the, has nothing to do with kung fu though no, no but but the pond like is engulfed in flames in one long shot that's like a big wide yeah. and you're like the guy who just jumped and would has turned into a giant fiery pit like he has to have died. Well, right? like, how is this even possible? <laughs> I mean, did this guy, did this stuntman who was on fire jump into a pond that was actually, like, full of gasoline? <laughs> <laughs> did you notice that there was a lot of kids watching the movie? Like, would your parents would have taken you to a film like this? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, my parents paid attention to the rating system. Um are you saying that the parents who brought their kids to this movie did not pay attention? Well, I don't know. I mean, like, when I was a teenager, I used to... I mean, not a child, but when I was a teenager, I used to, like, watch kung fu movies, and I don't think my parents really even noticed. But what, if I was, like... There were some six, seven-year-olds yeah. who was, like... Especially sitting right in front of us, and I felt like the dad was a little bit baffled at what was happening on screen, <laughs> because, like, people's heads were being chopped off, ears sliced. Oh, there is a scene where somebody gets his ear sliced off in this movie that's one of the most unpleasant things I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> what about when that man comedically drowns moments <laughs> later. Oh, man. Basically, Ninja and Dragon's Den gets our highest recommendation. Yeah. We should do a Conan Lee episode. <laughs> Star of Tiger on the Beat, and Lethal Weapon 4. And nothing else. Nothing else. <laughs>